Well, amen. Good morning, everybody. Would you go ahead and stand up and greet someone around you? And we'll continue worshiping in just a moment. Turn this off. Let me call us to worship this morning. This is Psalm 105, just the first three verses of Psalm 105. The psalmist writes, So give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Lord God, we are here this morning where gathered together to seek the Lord, to seek you. God, as we come, we long to observe that which you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Even as we just sang, come see what God has, has done. As we enter into this Advent season, we're entering into a, a time where we're reflecting on the birth of Jesus Christ the one who condescended to earth, who lived the life that we couldn't live, who died the death that we deserved in order that we may be raised in the last day to spend eternity with our Creator, our Heavenly Father. God, and so we praise you for that work this morning. We are gathered here for no other reason except to praise the name of Jesus. An empty tomb stands before us this morning. God, and we long to gaze at it. We don't gaze at it for the sake of the tomb, though. We gaze at it because we know that that means Jesus reigns, the King over the universe. God, we love you. God, and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Let's pray together. Lord God, as we gather this morning, as we prepare to go to your word, Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm us with joy. God, that the things that are going on in our world, like Mark prayed earlier, would be set aside for the time being as we go to your word and as we, we, uh, we bask in the goodness, the kindness, the generosity, and the love that you show to us in Christ Jesus. Lord God, we confess oftentimes, again, that we are distracted coming into this space. God, we, we confess that our minds go elsewhere very quickly. God, we're distracted throughout our week. We're distracted by screens. God, we're distracted uh, by, by a whole host, of, a whole host of, of things. We are a distracted people. God, but we are grateful to you this morning, God, that you are never distracted. God, we understand that you, you are a God who does not change, no, no matter what. God, you are a God who is, is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so this morning we praise you for that reality. As things swirl around us in the holiday season and things seem busy uh, and, and even more so than usual, Lord, I pray that we would adequately take time to reflect on the truth of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. God, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. Well, thank you so much this morning for joining us. This is the first week of Advent. Um, it's a little bit strange to think that we're here already. Um, it's a little bit strange to think that this is the, the first week of, of Advent. I'm happy to all be together this morning with our kids in this space, um, save the infants and toddlers. It's the only room that's open. But if you, if you have kids and they need something to do, there are, in fact, uh, uh, some coloring sheets back there, some activities, some books, and things like that that Rachel Uden has kindly put out for kids. If they need something to run to the back and grab something, uh, feel free at any point throughout the course of our time this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to read the first seven verses. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there, are a, there is a stack. There are a stack. There are copies. There is a stack back there um, on the table right behind the door. Feel free to stand up and grab one of those. It's good for you to see the words that I'm about to read in front of you this morning. If you're wondering why we're in the Old Testament this morning when, it, when we're starting Advent, sometimes Isaiah is called the, the fifth gospel. So much of this book is geared towards an understanding of and what will come as a result of the fulfillment of uh, the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And while Jesus' name is not actually given, there are many, many allusions to, to Jesus in, in the book of Isaiah. And so we're going to camp out there uh, for the next few the next few weeks. Isaiah chapter 9 beginning in verse 1 and I'll read through verse 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. For in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. 
for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled with blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We read that last verse and we ask ourselves the question immediately in this text, what is it? What is God? What is God operating on? Isaiah writes, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Have you ever been jealous? Of course you have. That's a silly question. Stupid question this morning. Have you ever been jealous? The answer is yes. The holidays can be especially difficult time for, for jealousy in our own hearts. Kids, have you ever wanted a toy at Christmas? Yeah and then not received it, only to find out that maybe a brother or sister or, uh, or someone else that you know, a friend, got that toy that you wanted. You thought you'd get it, but they got it instead, and you wished you were them, just for a minute. You wished you were them so that you could play with that, that toy. Or football fans, maybe you flip on the TV this afternoon to watch a football game, and you'll immediately be confronted with a Lexus December to Remember sales event commercial. You know those ones, right? Where those really attractive people in their cashmere sweaters and their brand new homes come out of their house and they, and they find a, a car, a vehicle in the driveway with a giant bow on it. The bow is overkill for sure. But maybe you thought to yourself, I don't need a Lexus. I don't need a Lexus. But man, I would really like a new car. I think I deserve a car. I think I deserve to have my life look like that. Or maybe it's not something like a car, but maybe this Christmas is the first Christmas where you're missing a family member around the table. You ask a friend at the grocery store how their holidays were, and their family did not experience a death in the way that your family did. They had a wonderful Christmas, and you find you're jealous for the wholeness that you're friends, family experience, while your table felt incomplete or broken. Jealousy is like covetousness. It's like envy. We want what others have because deep down we believe that we deserve it more than they do. The interesting thing about this text this morning is that Isaiah ascribes to God jealousy. At the end of verse 7, this is the thrust, the foundation, the grounding for, for what God says or what God does. We see that word zeal there. And that word contains the sense that God is passionate, he's avid, or even he's fanatical, but it also contains a sense of jealousy. But unlike us, God actually deserves the thing that he says he deserves. When we make statements about deserving things, we rarely, if ever, probably never actually do. 
And again, not like our jealousy, but the passion to accomplish that which God sets out to accomplish and the desire to receive that which he deserves. And what does God deserve? God deserves glory. He deserves praise. He deserves honor. And he deserves worship. And so that when we come to the end of this short section of text, everything that comes before verse 7 flows from the zeal of, of God. We know that God will not fail in getting for himself that which he deserves. And so the most important idea for us when we come to these seven verses is this. God is jealous for our joy, and we're going to get there. God is jealous for our joy, or we could say it like this. God is jealous in there for zealous for our joy. Not just detached happiness, not just detached happiness, but true and lasting satisfaction in him. So let's consider these seven verses more closely. God is jealous for our joy. That may seem like a strange statement, but again, that last little phrase in verse seven is what we're talking about. That's the engine of the text. It's the foundation. It's the grounding. How do we know that which comes before it in chapter nine will actually happen? Because God is zealous. Because God is a jealous God. Because he is acting according to his character and pursuing that which he deserves, glory, honor, praise, and worship. And his passion for those things burns and he will not just get over it. That's, that's the heart of this text as it relates to Christmas. God does not just get over what he sees in the world his passion for his glory and his praise, his honor, and the worship that is due to him flows out of him as we find ourselves observing a baby in a manger. You and I see something that we want but is out of reach, and oftentimes when that happens, we just resign ourselves. That, that new house or that new car, we want to learn a new language, we want to fix that leaky faucet, but... Maybe we can't financially do the new house or car, or we watch several YouTube videos on how to fix the leaky faucet and still can't get it right, so we call the plumber, or we want to learn that new language, so we just resolve to pull up Google Translate. Then we get over it, because those things we want are out of our reach. Nothing is out of God's reach, though. That's what this text is communicating to us. Nothing is out of God's reach. He will accomplish what he sets out to accomplish, always without exception. So again, if we look at the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What? What is the this at the end of verse 7? What will the zeal of the Lord accomplish for us? The short answer, again, is the joy of his people. But let's flesh this out. Go back to verse 1. Look at verse 1 for a bit of background. Isaiah the prophet is writing about an incoming invasion of Assyria. Assyria is headed towards Israel and Judah, two kingdoms that exist in the land that God apportioned to his people during the conquest. And so we have a seesaw effect that's happening, a king that honors God and loves him, and then and then a king who, who disregards God and doesn't. 
and it goes back and forth. God's people act unfaithfully largely throughout this period of time. They had forgotten their God. They had forgotten His commands. They had acted unjustly. They had acted arrogantly. And as a result, God was about to discipline His people by bringing in an Assyrian invasion. God was going to purify His people through judgment. So in verse 1, look at there are three places mentioned in verse 1. Zebulun, Naphtali, and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the nations. Three places mentioned. Zebulun and Naphtali are two tribes of Israel, two tribes of Israel who were given portions of land, and the northernmost part, if you look at a map, the northernmost part of what God has provided for his people. Galilee is west of the Jordan and is a region in Zebulun and Naphtali. So we ask, well, why do we care? Isaiah, why do we care about this? There is a large region in the Middle East. Maybe you've seen a map of this. I should have put it up on the screen. Forgive me for not doing that. That's an oversight on my part. There's a large region in the Middle East called the Fertile Crescent, and it looks like, a upside, or it looks like an arc. And Assyria is on one side, and then we have the Mediterranean Sea on the other, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting my hands in the wrong places because you're the opposite direction from me. But, but Assyria is here, and they come up through the Fertile Crescent, and they come down on top of, on top of Israel, And the first place that they would hit, Zebulun and Naphtali. The Assyrians would swing in like a hammer and deliver a crushing blow to the north. And so this is the former time that Isaiah writes about. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. This is the former time he writes about. But then Isaiah introduces a time to come. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. He writes something glorious is coming to this region. And then he enters in verse 2 into this section of poetry. The inhabitants of Zebulun, the inhabitants of Naphtali, would walk in darkness. The Assyrians would land there first. But Isaiah says, They have seen a great light. And what is the great light that Isaiah is talking about? What is he writing about here? A few centuries later, a man born in Bethlehem who grew up in Nazareth, a small and insignificant town in Galilee. That region in Zebulun and Naphtali. Ray Ortland writes, The ones walking in darkness suddenly found themselves blinking under a new light they had never seen before. They deserved the Assyrian invasion that happened to them. But God was not satisfied with it. His zeal brought a Savior. Zebulun and Naphtali would stumble around in darkness for centuries. And then Jesus bursts onto the scene, the light of the world, finding his humble origins in a land of deep Darkness, out of a place of hopelessness comes hope. Out of a place of darkness came the light of the world. And the light spreads, Isaiah says. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. It's robust. The joy at the harvest, a harvest that is large enough to divide it among many People. It's the joy of a locker room after a World Series victory. 
It's the joy of a young woman when her young husband comes back from war. It's a miraculous joy that you never thought would come and now is here. This joy is not from us, but from our all-powerful, unchanging, eternal God. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. The one who is coming is a liberator. The darkness that Zabulon and Naphtali would see in the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, the darkness that they would dwell in for generations would be broken and a great light would come to them. As in the day of Midian, Isaiah says. In Judges 6, 7, and 8, we have the story of Gideon. And Gideon broke the rod of the Midianite oppression. He did it with nothing more than 300 men, some trumpets, some jars, and some torches. Not a great army. And this this liberator that Isaiah speaks of is greater than Gideon. Not only will the strength of the Midianites be broken, but the power of all that oppresses us. Sin. And ultimately the grave. No greater enemy exists, not the Midianites. No greater enemy exists, and Jesus came to eliminate, to put to death, death. And when sin and the grave are defeated, there will be no more need for the tools of war. Look at verse 5. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned with fire. A warrior's boots, the blood-soaked garments that were worn in the midst of brutal conflict are no longer needed. They're burned. I am looking forward to a day when there is no more conflict, where we no longer need to arm ourselves, where we're all on the same page and we're worshiping Jesus, and this is what Isaiah is pointing toward. Oftentimes in our culture, our conflict isn't with swords. Oftentimes it's with words. But even the tools that we need to engage in the conflict that we have in our society those tools will become obsolete. And so we ask the question at the end of verse 5, what great liberator is here? This is what Isaiah wants us to think. What great liberator is here who is strong enough to defeat armies like Gideon with nothing but everyday items? Who is wise enough? What great liberator is here who is wise enough to quiet the rage of the nations? Like David writes in Psalm 2, who is powerful enough to fix the human heart, corrupt corrupt and condemned, who can restore light to the darkest corners of the earth that endlessly groan in the pangs of childbirth, who can take all our wounds and bind them up and our scars turn them into reminders of grace. The one who can do all of this would come several centuries after Isaiah wrote these words, Who can do all of this? Who can do all of this and more? Everything that we need. We would expect someone great, but verse 6 turns this on its head. 
It's a child. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Who can do all of this? It's a baby born in the city of David, born to a teenage girl miles and miles away from home while her young husband tended to her. It's a tiny baby, vulnerable, eyes unable to focus, covered in blood, born into a world of pain because of the curse of sin, a curse of sin that would be broken like the skull of the serpent that his tiny heel was intended for. It wasn't a superhero. It wasn't a gladiator in an arena. It was a cold knife, seemingly uninspiring event. It was a child that one day would set us free from that which we could not set ourselves free. It was a newborn baby that would one day bring an end to all conflict. A warrior's boots and garments would be burned because of childbirth and a triumphant victory that would make an Assyrian military campaign look like tin soldiers trampled under the feet of giants. And so we look at a manger. We look at a tiny baby, a wonderful counselor, ancient knowledge, infinite wisdom, the very word of God. We look at the mighty God himself, endless love that does not waver, open arms and a smile on his face, an everlasting father, the prince of peace, establishing us and bringing us into eternal rest, setting everything right, and his reign will have no end. And that brings us back then to where we started. God's jealousy for our joy. Jesus brings us back to what God intended. Back to the garden that was lost because of sin. He breaks the rod of the oppressor. He crushes his enemies. And in God's infinite wisdom, it starts with a baby. starts with the light that comes out of a land that had dwelt in centuries, centuries in deep, deep darkness. God deserves our praise. God deserves our honor. God deserves our worship. He is jealous for it. And he will have it as he multiplies our joys and the increase in his rule and reign, a rule that is ever-expanding. Our joy is not just added to. It grows in great increments, and it will grow in greater increments for all of eternity. As we think about this text and think about what this means, maybe things don't feel cold, like I said at the outset. Maybe they feel pretty dark wherever you're at this morning. They feel dark at your home because of a loss of a loved one. You had a tough year financially. The holiday is going to seem like one of those that you'd rather forget. Or maybe your extended family is in the midst of 
conflict, or maybe you're dreading taking time to be with family over the holidays because you know all the problems that are on your desk at work aren't magically going to go away after December 25th. Here's what God is telling us in this text. He is jealous. And the jealousy that he feels for that which is rightfully his, glory, honor, praise, and worship, that jealousy leads to passionate action. Passionate action on your behalf. Passionate action on my behalf. Passionate action that sends Jesus unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And that jealousy and zealous action leads to our joy. Nothing could be worse for us than a God not acting according to his character. Nothing could be better for us than a God acting according to his character. God's jealousy and zealous action leads to our joy because it sets everything right. It sets everything right in our world. And even when things don't seem right, you can rest and find joy in Jesus Christ, the one through whom God is making all things right. And that action of making all things right, God is bent on it. God is bent on it. If you're here this morning and you're feeling like God is far off, take into consideration this text. God is bent on making all things right, all things new. It's not number five on his to-do list this week. It's not that he'll, something he'll get around to. It's the sub and, sum and substance of all he is doing. Because it's displaying who he is. The one is who, who is worthy of our praise and honor and worship because he alone is to be glorified. And so maybe you're here this morning and you think that joy is not for you. Maybe you think it's not for you, that the joy ran out a few years ago and you missed out. You're just not quite good enough to participate. This is the triumph of God's grace. The joy never runs out because of a baby in a manger, a joy that is not contingent on us, a Savior sent for you and me, the God-man Jesus Christ who would die the death that we deserve for the forgiveness of our sins. This joy is for you. If you're tired, if you're discouraged, if you're despairing, this joy is for you. Isaiah writes in verse 6, For to us, a child is born. Your joy is the result of God acting in accordance to his, his character. Friends, if you have a different definition of joy, you need to rethink it. We need to move in the direction of understanding that our joy only can flow from God and Him acting according to who He is. The good news for us is that he cannot act differently. He cannot act differently. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so it's my hope this week as we enter into Advent and 
we move throughout Advent is that we would run to him, that we would seek joy in him and him alone and in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning that as those, as those who you have sent a child to, God, our joy is a result of your jealous action. The glory, the honor, the praise, and the worship that is owed unto you, God, is granted to us. The joy that we experience when you get those things. God, we pray this morning that as we go from this place, God, that we would observe a manger and observe that our good and our best is in your mind. God, we pray that if we are feeling broken, if we're not feeling whole this holiday, if we're thinking and dwelling on things that are outside of our control, God, would you, would you multiply our joy this morning? May our hearts be ever inclined to Jesus, the one who would break the rod of all that oppresses us and bring an end to everything that we fear. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
God, indeed, we are grateful this morning as those who have gathered to, to worship your holy name. God, I pray as we go from this place, as we pray every week, God, that we would reflect clearly the light of the world that stepped down into darkness. The darkness that oppressed us, God, has been broken because of the work of Jesus on our behalf, God. And so this morning, as we think about the next several weeks in the Advent season, Lord, would we reflect clearly on that which you have done for us in, in Christ Jesus. The God-man leaving the comfort of heaven, coming to earth, condescending for us. God, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And all that stood in your way, God, has been removed. God, we thank you that you're a God who is unchanging, a God who, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A God who sees all that he desires and gets it. God, we pray this week and we pray earnestly for our sake and for our joy, God, that you would continually act zealously according to your character. God, may you please, God, in our behalf, accomplish all that you've set out. God, we thank you that it is because of your zeal that it is accomplished. God, and so we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you this morning for worshiping with us. I want to call your attention to this really quickly before you head out. This is just a bookmark that we made. Larry's got him back there. He's holding him up. Um, it's just a quick reading plan through the book of Isaiah. Um, just go ahead and put it in your Bible, stuff it in there, and, and read through the book of Isaiah as we, as we spend time together this Advent season uh, in, in the book of, of Isaiah. It goes through uh, Christmas, goes through Christmas Eve, so you'll you'll be done with the book in 24 days. Thank you so much again for worshiping with us this morning. We uh, <laughs> 24 days is Christmas. That's right, bud. Hey, just a couple things I want to mention before you head out. Uh, December 2nd, that's tomorrow night. Remember, we have a family meeting. We're headed for uh, to vote on our 2020 budget. So members, please make an effort to be there tomorrow evening. If you can't make it, would you please just let me know? And if you need all of the information, I've got that for you too. Please come and talk with me about, about that. Uh, December 15th, in two weeks from today, we're going to have a family meal um, downstairs. The hospitality team has prepared that for us. You're all aware of, of that by this point. If you have any questions, you can direct them to Emily Hewitt. She'd be happy to answer those for you. Uh, if you, uh, we don't regularly take a, an offering during congregational worship, but there is a box in the back. Feel free to drop your tithes and offerings back there. And if you're visiting with us, would you grab one of these Connect cards and fill it out? We'd love to be praying for you. We'd love to just connect with you uh, throughout the course of the week. Our elders pray for those who come here regularly on a Sunday morning, and we just love to, to know a little bit and get to know you a little bit, a little bit more. Again, thanks so much for worshiping with us. Go in grace this this week.